You might have heard me say it once, maybe twice on this podcast, that I love Minneapolis and the Twin Cities and the art scene that we have brewing here. And while that's certainly true, my love for the arts in general is much broader than any geographic boundary, as art is a universal language that can speak to anyone, anywhere in the world. And I'm sure, wherever you're listening from in this wide world, well, you probably have a pretty incredible art scene there yourself. In my neck of the woods, there's a one-stop shop to find out about everything my local art scene has to offer. But as I get into conversation with the owners of this resource, what they have to say about the arts, well, it's really unbounded by geography as well, and I think speaks to all of us, regardless of where we might be listening. So let's stop wasting time and get right into it, shall we? In four, three, two. Hello art enthusiasts and art lovers. Welcome to episode 24 of Art Wonderful, the podcast where art is a religion. I'm your host, Nicholas Harper, and I'm broadcasting from my art studio deep within the Rogue Buddha Gallery. That's here in the heart of the Northeast Arts District in beautiful Minneapolis, Minnesota. I want to thank you for joining me as we explore everything the arts has to offer. It's the mission of this podcast to spread the gospel of the arts, their essential value to our everyday lives, and to offer a deep dive exploration into this most mysterious of subjects. You can learn more about myself, the Rogue Buddha Gallery, this podcast, and those we have on the show by visiting us online at roguebuddha.com. Click podcast from the menu. Everybody needs a friend, and if you're new to something, just don't quite understand something, or are looking to find out more about a certain topic, well, having a friend help guide you through uncharted territory is most valuable. Here in the Twin Cities art scene, we're blessed to have just that friend in the form of MinneapolisArt.com. MPLSArt.com has carved out an amazing niche here in the Twin Cities, helping people navigate the local art scene, giving much-needed and equally deserved attention to the artists who make up that scene, and expanding the discourse about art in general. It really doesn't matter where you live geographically. A visit to MinneapolisArt.com is well worth the visit. So, without further ado, I want to welcome to Art Wonderful, Katie and Blaine Garrett. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Nick. We've been, we've been long-time listeners, first-time guests. Excellent, excellent. Well, and I've been a fan of uh, MPLS Art for quite some time, and, um, you know, I've become kind of a super fan since its reboot, which is uh, all because of you guys. Um, but before we get into that, I'm, I'm wondering if you can each kind of uh, talk a little bit about yourselves, um, what your background is, and what you're interested in the arts is, and where that kind of developed. Yeah, um, so I, I guess I can go first. Um, so yeah, I'm an artist uh, myself. I, I do collaborative painting and uh, a lot of illustration work with uh, the couple other folks. Uh, we call ourselves Dim Media. Um, I do a lot of stuff on my own as well. But uh, yeah, artist background. I'm also a software engineer and bunch of other, wear a bunch of other different hats as well. And um, yeah, how about you, Katie? What's your deal? <laughs> I am uh, always weaving in and out between fine art and commercial art. Um, 
crayons and paint when I was growing up, uh, commercial art educated, and worked in advertising as an art director for more years than I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, got back to fine art with the website and um, started making again. So yeah, sitting on the fence, but always creative. Okay, and what kind of, what are you making now? It's crazy. I started doing blind contour drawings to um, help with anxiety and um, it just felt really good to to be doodling and um, the practice of blind contour is um, super silly. It kind of gets you out of that worry about what you're making and you close your eyes and you start drawing line by line, one single line and whatever you make, it's hilarious. You can't even make it serious if you try. Um, so this practice was really, really helping me through some some hard stuff emotionally. And I was posting it on Instagram and people wanted to buy it all of a sudden. People wanted to commission their own portrait in this wild style. It's, it's not very flattering, but it's really fun. <laughs> That's awesome. That's very cool. So for those that don't know, um, mplsart.com uh, is a website that has been around for a while, um, since before kind of this reboot that you guys are responsible for. Can you talk a little bit about the history of MPLSArt.com and then how you guys became involved with it? Right, so MPLSArt.com began as a passion project created by Emma Berg, who was locally famous in her own right in the early twants. She is a fashion designer, really connected to the fine art world, and um, she saw a lot of potential in Minneapolis. She saw amazing art events. She was really into the pageantry and the fashion of all of it and the art itself, but she didn't see a calendar that helped it to be easy, easily accessible, um, and she didn't see any media coverage of it at all. So she'd go to these events. No one's taking pictures. Um, it's not getting the clout that it should. So she started taking pictures. And um, I think it was around 2004 or five, it was pretty novel that she would take these pictures at these art openings and really class it up. She was really talented at that. And she would go upload these photos to her, her mplsart.com. And it was super novel for people at the time to go see themselves in a picture on the internet. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, circa, circa 2005, six, you know, before pre-Facebook, I mean, I think we're talking pre-iPhone, prime MySpace era. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Um, like, she was this close to, like, inventing Instagram, <laughs> sort of, you know? Totally. Yeah, and this is, you know, I mean, we're, we're still talking, like, when a lot of, I mean, it's still hard at that point to get your artwork online, you know? It's an interesting, like, Wild West time on the internet. So we were working quite a bit in that era doing various things. And so, yeah, when we, um, when we saw in 2014 um, that they were gonna be shutting down, I think they made the announcement um, after, after Art of World. Um, yeah, we kind of reached out and thought, well, maybe we, can, maybe we can take this over, you know, us both being artists and feeling like we had the skill set to, to manage the project. Um, also, I mean, we just felt like it needed to exist, you know, it was such a valuable service to the community and, um, 
it was really sad to see it go away and I didn't see anybody else necessarily pulling those shoes. So, so we reached out and um, apparently a lot of people reached out, but they kind of determined that, you know, it, they knew the workload involved and what skill sets are required. And, you know, cause it's a lot, I mean, it's building a website and it's doing all the design and marketing and all that. And so uh, fortunately we had the skill sets <laughs> for those things. And um, yeah, so in uh i think it was august 2014 we uh we bought the site for a dollar from mn christopher and um we officially relaunched in april of 2015 so last year was kind of silently our uh our uh five-year anniversary uh you know there was the pandemic so we didn't get to have a big celebration or anything like that and I actually forgot about it until a couple months later but yeah, it's been five years. I mean, six now. Wow, yeah. Wow. It sneaks up on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and this website couldn't have come at a better time either. In terms of having a resource where you could go and look at look for gallery openings and where are the galleries? There really wasn't anything. So, you know, mplsart.com really fills that void and, and uh, does so brilliantly, actually much more so than just a, a listing of galleries and, and events. But, um, and we really don't have anything else like that in Minneapolis and have it. So well, how do you describe uh, the website? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we first and foremost, we're always like, first and foremost, we're an events calendar. That's always going to be our, our bread and butter. That was the start of it. And, um, you know, we want to expose everybody to all the exhibitions going on. And, you know, we wrote out just everything. We try to, we try to put everything out there and let folks kind of curate their own, own uh, evenings, for example, you know. Um, you know, we've, we've gotten into the gallery guide, for example. Um, just so so we can show off what all the different galleries that exist and all the you know there's lots of lots of different little spaces uh different pop-ups those sorts of things that we make sure we kind of list down there as well um we have our editorial section which has grown quite a bit in the last couple of years uh russ white is our our editor-in-chief for that so He's he's uh, he's done a phenomenal job being our editor and just kind of cultivating that whole bit. It's uh, you know I think the kind of the first and foremost place for specifically like Minneapolis St. Paul artists um, editorial. You know, um, especially with the city pages gone now, um, there's not a whole lot of folks writing about specifically like Twin Cities artists. You know. Even um, MN artists this year, they scaled back and they're just focusing on editorial. Um, so the events calendars, I guess they're doing opportunities as well. But um, yeah, so there's you know a good overlap of of what we do and other folks. But as far as the visual arts, I mean that's that's where we focus. Yeah, it takes a lot of work to stay on top of things, but that's kind of our thing. Yeah, how has uh, how has I guess the the uh, obviously there's been some changes over the last year with uh, what's happening in terms of events. How has that affected the website and how has that affected kind of exhibitions in general and 
kind of the art scene in general? Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's been kind of across the board. Uh, uh, people have taken different steps to kind of get through, and I think um, you know, some some galleries, just for example, were just kind of biding their time till things opened up enough to uh, get people back in the door. Um, places like I would at Suvac, for example, pretty much immediately they started just putting out a ton of digital content, um, artist interviews, that sort of thing. Uh, for me, like, so we just, for example, are, we have elderly parents and we're just, we're playing everything really super safe. We've been hardly going out at all, honestly. Um, so a lot of, a lot of the artist interviews, artist talks, uh, we've been taking in and it's been really appreciated, you know, um, a lot of artists, I mean, especially with everything, not just the pandemic going on, um, a lot of spaces had to close. Uh, I mean, we've lost several galleries this year. The White Page Gallery, for example, closed. Oh, Rosalux so just decided to, yeah, Rosalux just decided to not re renew their lease. So they still exist. They're still doing some online exhibitions, but, um, you know, it's kind of sad driving. I was just over at the Northrop King building the other day, and, you know, the big lucky sign is, is turned off. Oh, <laughs> it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad. But um, I think they're looking for a new space, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely like a transition period. Well, and Rosalux, they kind of, um, they're kind of like the, the masters of reinvention. You know, they, they, yeah, they pop up somewhere, they're there for a good while, and then something happens with the building <laughs> and the lease, and then they're gone for a few months, right. and then they pop up, reemerged. So they'll be back. I know yeah. they'll be back. They're resilient. <laughs> And then, uh, I mean, then there's there's organizations that have popped up like Black Table Arts just opened up down the street here. So we're we're in Seward, and they're kind of in Northern Longfellow. So there's, I mean, there's things starting this year as well. And what is that? Yeah, so it's a, um, I don't know all the details, but uh, it's a Black-led arts sort of uh, cultivator. Um, I think they do a lot with theater and poetry, but... Um, I believe they're pro providing like performance space, maybe some studio space as well. But okay. uh, they just opened up, I don't know, a couple of days ago. So I'm excited to go check them out. Very cool. Yeah, and you mentioned that like there's been a lot more content in terms of like interview artist interviews and artist talks. And that's kind of actually kind of a silver lining out of this whole thing is that, you know, maybe people are being exposed to a more um, in-depth aspect of the artistic universe rather than just the, the art that they're seeing visually image wise it's like okay now you're getting to hear from the artists more hear their philosophies and sort of their their processes more so who knows out of this whole thing people might emerge just more educated about the arts and um, more enthralled with kind of the the, the process and the back end of what you just see at you know, when you go to a gallery opening. Totally, totally. Yeah, I, I, I do see a silver lining in it and that, that uh, you know, doing things online like this is a little more approachable for people that, um, I don't know, might be intimidated by going to a gallery, uh, for example. I mean, I, we, we always kind of use that as our use case when we're thinking about our audience is that we want to reach those people that they like art, they might see lots of cool art on Instagram. They're like, hey, we would like to be a part of the art world. But then 
you know, they're out one night going to a restaurant and walk by a gallery and kind of get intimidated. And they're like, this isn't for us. You know, we're like, no, it is for you. It is for you. <laughs> go in, just go in, you know, enjoy yourself. Right. Because uh, I, do, I do think art can be really intimidating. So there is like a weird um, anonymous nature of like popping into an artist talk or, or even an Instagram live, for example, and, and just seeing, feeling it out, you know, and um, I don't know. I think that's, I think that's an interesting aspect of uh, this year. Yeah. In fact, that's kind of, you know, part of the whole premise of a big chunk of this, the premise of behind this podcast is to um, kind of lift the veil behind the art so that people aren't as in, aren't intimidated by it, by the art world or uh, galleries in particular. <clears throat> My guest on um, uh, a couple weeks ago or a week ago was uh, Cassie Garner from Gamut Gallery, and she really shares in that same kind of value system of opening up the space to the community and building a community based on um, everybody being welcome and and that the arts aren't shouldn't be intimidating, and they are for everybody. Right. The, if, if the pandemic's done anything well, it's, um, it's humbled us and made us all, all get really intimate with ourselves and with each other. The nature of Zoom, you're seeing people in their homes, you're hearing their dogs bark and their babies cry. And um, that's, when we talk about accessibility in the arts, I mean, that's, you're in their house when you're talking to an artist. Um, and that's really special. Um, so that's, I'm, I'm grateful for that when it comes to these artist talks and these these moments that we can have. You know, some artists are really shy and, and maybe in the gallery setting, they wouldn't even talk to people. But when you're in your own home and you just have to talk to a screen, all of a sudden a whole bunch of people are hearing from someone that might've been in the corner um, and vice versa. An art, someone that's intimidated by the art scene itself, all of a sudden has a number of doorways in to to hear to see to listen to what's going on in the in the local art scene that's so true speaking of accessibility to the arts and to artists in particular the Northeast Minneapolis Arts Association keeps a member list of hundreds of artists working and living in the Northeast Minneapolis neighborhood. There are literally hundreds of studios in the small radius of Minneapolis, and NEMA.org, that's N-E-M-A-A dot org, is the perfect place to get lost for hours searching these artists online. In addition to viewing their work, many have artist statements and even demonstration videos. And of course, you can buy directly from the store or visit each artist's personal web pages. This again is all available at our partners at NEMAA.org. Has MPLS Art actually hosted any live events itself online? Yeah, so one of the initiatives we were doing this year was putting together a, a video platform. So, you know, kind of early on with Zoom, um, you know, Russ um, Russ had been doing editorial for the uh, McKnight Fellows. Um, and when the pandemic started, so so it's a series of four artist talks. There's four pairs of McKnight Fellows. And um, when the pandemic hit, they couldn't do the artist talks in person. So he... Um, he uh, hosted them via zoom from his basement you know the last the last two um 
and this was really early on. So there was Zoom bombing and there was, you know, the guy sitting in his living room that didn't know to turn his phone off. And, you know, so instead of the artist being up on screen, screen it's some guy, you know. <laughs> so there's a lot of problems like that. So, um, and Zoom's great, you know, whatever. Uh, and it's improved a lot in the last, last while. Um, but, you know, we started down this path of building out our own video platform that was like geared towards the different use cases around the art. So artist talks, um, you know, a group exhibition, like a group talk, um, you know, being able to have guests that can't talk, for example, but sometimes you want to see everybody and have them talk and all that. So really highly configurable. So through that, we did a whole series of tests. Um, First one was a artist talk with, or no, sorry, it was a live painting event with Reggie LaFleur. So he was just working in his studio, just basically put put on the platform and we did a little bit of marketing around it and had a handful of folks join and just basically watch him do his work as magic for an hour or two. And it was really good and it helped us work out some kinks and we're very much fake it till you make it type people. So <laughs> there's a lot of faking it going on when we, we put that together. So then, uh worked on it a bunch more the next one i think was the gamut closing exhibition for um their print show that they had so they when the pandemic hit they had this print print exhibition up and so they never got to do a proper closing um so we hosted a closing via the via the platform uh and we did a handful of other talks you did the katie katie curated the c4w show for gamut this year and we did the artist talk on that Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. That one was fun. That was uh, <laughs> that was a round robin with um, with artists, and the the premise was um, this show is is an open call, and you um, there's a guest curator every year. I had the honor and privilege of being the guest curator this year, uh, last year, and um, it's just a wild. There's no theme. So the theme is invented as you're as you're curating it, and the artists are wildly different, and it's it's really exciting. So the the event was an artist talk with all these wildly different artists, but a lot of them really prolific in their own way. Some very new, and basically I wanted to take the attention off of myself during the artist talk, and so. <laughs> Uh, a tricky little tactic was to for me to choose an artist that I that I admired um, and and ask them about their work a little bit and then pass the baton and then that artist chose a different artist in the show um, there were several dozen and that artist answered some questions from the other artists it was just artist on artist for about for about a, 12 of them um, so it got it got kind of it was really fun and you didn't have to listen to me talk the whole time. I love that idea. I'm going to totally uh, appropriate <laughs> appropriate that idea <laughs> for the artist talks here. I love that idea. Yeah, I, yeah it's uh, for group exhibitions. It's probably, I don't know, I, I feel like it's better than trying to ask a question to a group and then have one of them try to field it, you know, uh, I don't know. It was, I enjoyed it for sure. I think um, I think we're gonna try to do that for the uh, sketchbook exhibition as well. Cool, very cool. That's a good segue. What exactly is the uh, sketchbook exhibit that you're talking about in the sketchbook project? Yeah, so I guess I guess firstly the sketchbook project. Um, 
So in kind of the second half of 2020, um, you know, late summer, uh, we started doing a series of five traveling sketchbooks uh, that we had going all around artists to the Twin Cities. So in the end, we had 68 artists contribute to these five traveling sketchbooks. It was uh, 120 pages of original artwork in, in total. Um, all done, all done within 2020, carried over just a, a week into 2021. But um, it's kind of this interesting snapshot of at least the last six months of, of the year, um, you know, through the election and through all, especially all the political bits. And um, yeah, it's kind of a, it, as you flip through them, it's kind of like traveling through time because all the pages are sequentially in order that they're added to the sketchbook. Yeah. So, I mean, basically from July to the end of the year. Um, so, yeah, so we so we have these five sketchbooks. Um, they're going to be auctioned off at, uh, on March, or sorry, May, uh, May 22nd. We're still working on confirming that. Revere Auctions in St. Paul is going to be doing the auctioning. Um, we also put together a book, a limited edition hardcover book that collects all five sketchbooks. Uh, there's one piece from every artist in it. Um, we have a Kickstarter going for that now, um, which we're probably going to hit our goal this week. Uh, we just started it, and um, wow. I don't know, like, is my it's only my second Kickstarter, and the first one we did, we didn't have a very high goal. And when I was setting the goal, like, Russ and I were going back and forth, like, he was a little worried that it was too high of a goal, we weren't going to hit it, and if you don't hit your goal on Kickstarter, you don't get any of the money. Yeah. Um, so got a happy medium because all the money from the auction, all the money from the Kickstarter or the, the net, you know, from printing the books, selling the books, uh, we have some sponsors as well. All that money goes back to the artists. Okay. So if we don't hit our goal, then the artists don't get the money, at least from the, the Kickstarter. Um, so it's kind of a balance of making the books affordable and uh, making sure we can hit our goal. Either way, we almost hit our goal within the first week. So there's wow. a... <laughs> people are are really excited about this book so um but yeah the however many books we sell during the kickstarter is all that are going to exist we're not uh mpls art is not going to be selling these books like in an online store or something later on and that's yeah. primarily so that um the artist can get a check you know just one one check after the auction um that was that was really important for us because we don't want to screw around with royalties and all that sort of thing so sure um but yeah we're hoping to give a couple hundred bucks at least back to 68 artists so that's awesome that's that'll really help, cool. help pay studio rent <laughs> no doubt so it's also grown from just being the the books itself to a full exhibition that's going to be taking place at gamut gallery in april yes yes so i originally reached out to cassie um to just be able to show the books for like say a pop-up you know one or two evenings um because even the artists you know even though the artists were uh receiving the sketchbooks and all that they've only seen the artwork in that one sketchbook they're contributing to and it was just the ones prior to them a lot of artists haven't seen 90 percent of the work that's in the sketchbook so so we kind of reached out to do a pop-up exhibition and um you know, good old Cass wanted to uh, turn into a full full exhibition. And um, so we have 35 of the artists that are involved in the sketchbook project are making original work uh, for the exhibition. And then the 
five original sketchbooks will be on view as well. So the public can come and see them before they get auctioned. That's very cool. As of the release date of this episode, March 22nd, there are, I think, only 16 days left to head over to the Kickstarter page and make your pledge to not only support this awesome project, but to secure for yourself one of these limited edition books. Like Blaine said, they're only printing as many books as are pledged for during this campaign, which makes this offer just too good to let pass by. You can reserve your copy now by heading over to mplsart.com and clicking on the banner for the 2020 Sketchbook Project. Again, that's at mplsart.com. I love that idea in general. The whole the whole concept's really cool. Um, you're hinting that uh, there might be something similar for 2021 or... You know, part of me thinks there was like kind of a time and a place for the project, and that was 2020. But, um, you know, I still think there's the need this year. I mean, we're still in a pandemic. We're, you know, we'll see how this summer goes with the this trial that's going on right now, all that, all the things that we dealt with last year, you know. So this is kind of our way to help them out, and I think they'll still need that help this year. So, so I think we'll do the project again. Um, it is a lot of work, and so I'm kind of figuring out, you know, what's the best way to streamline it. I mean, I put a lot of miles on the car last year, so <laughs> I <just break laughs> believe it. Are the artists all from the Twin Cities or is it from across the state? Where what's kind of the ge geography of the, the books? Yeah, we um we try to focus on artists that kind of are part of the Twin Cities arts community. So even if they live outside of you know the 494, 694 loop, uh for example that um they were rooted here so um like jim jim denemy for example lives up by franconia sculpture park but you know i really consider him part of the twin cities art community um sure. betsy alwyn too like uh, she's kind of out closer to buffalo but so geography isn't so much the thing it's kind of the, the community aspect of, of it that is the the grouping yeah yeah that's a good segue into um you know, talking about community, what is your guys's, because you guys are definitely on the pulse or have the pulse of Minneapolis, the Minneapolis art scene and the Twin Cities art scene in general, it's just not Minneapolis, St. Paul too, but um, what kind, what is your impression of the, the art scene in, in the Twin Cities overall? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a big question. Um, I think we have a really unique thing here. Um, I think there's a big sense of community around it that is really unique to us and um that's where we kind of focus you know um there's also kind of a special element of knowing that you're not under the microscope of the world you know i mean flyover country isn't a flattering term but there's also some beauty and you know there's some freedom in not being looked at all the time um i guess last year was the exception to that rule but you know <laughs> we're we're well <laughs> we're used to not being looked at so hard so we're not as afraid to put ourselves out there and and try new things um be really true to ourselves that's yeah. a good point a lot of innovation does spring forth from from minneapolis in all sorts of different art genres from visual art to uh dance theater music yeah and i i, I think um i mean just with our placement in the upper midwest 
and the nearest, you know, like Chicago, Chicago is such a large city that it can deter people, you know? So I think, I think there's a certain amount of gravity that, um, kind of draws people to the Twin Cities. I mean, it's affordable and there's lots going on and, but, it, and it's not just the arts. I think, um, there's a huge tech community here that's, you know, quite astounding. I'm in another life. I am a part of that, you know, for example. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what our population like projections are supposed to be like in the next couple of years, but I think there's a lot of good things to come for the Twin Cities, you know, especially if we figure our shit out right now, you know. Yes. Yeah. I think that's one thing with 2020 is we need to get our, figure out what, what our soul of a, as a city is, you know. A lot of the population growth is people coming from out of state uh, right now, you know, people are fleeing California and, you know, a certain percentage of them are coming here, for example. Um, you know, I, I think it's gonna be important for us to, I don't know, really push the values of art and culture and the things that are advertised to those folks, like move to Minneapolis, we have all this stuff. Well, if, you know, people don't partake in that stuff or, or doesn't get proper funding and yada, yada. You know, at, at some point, it's kind of the equivalent of like the mini mall, <laughs> strip mall sort of world, right? <laughs> like we want to make sure we preserve and build what we have and make it even even better, you know. I, I forget what it was. Was it the economic impact report that came out a few years ago? And it was stunning the amount of money generated by the arts in the city. Just absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean it's it's a massive part of income around here. Um you think of all the sales tax of selling artwork, you know, for example. Um the one the one thing I would comment on that report is it did include like marketing agencies and things, I believe, you know, like Katie's, Katie's world, uh, wedding. Don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your fault. Uh, <laughs> I'd really love to see like a follow-up on that report that, uh, kind of breaks down more of like the, when we, when you and I talk about art, you know, yeah. how much of the economy is that? Cause I think it's still a massive amount of money, you know, um, yeah, based on that report, like arts contributed so much X amount more than sports, you know, but we have, we can see it from our house, you know, the Viking Stadium, you know. Yeah. And it's something to behold, but uh, yeah, it'd be cool if the city helped out a little bit more with, you know, the arts. You know, if the city was on top of things, that would be a great thing to have at the convention center, have a, a public exhibition space for art, you know, for all the people coming yeah. in for different, different conventions, but yeah sounds a little bit like a minneapolis art fair da, da, da. <laughs> totally totally art basil of the north <laughs> we're here for it well it so it has been interesting because people have reached out to us pitching the idea i mean we're blessed to have so many community fairs like in parks and such like you know i'm a veteran of that through dim media you know setting up the tent and uh Starting the weekend out in the rain, selling a couple of pieces of artwork, you know, it's, it's, it's an experience. It's fun. Yeah. Um, but the, what most, most of the rest of the world thinks of as an art fair. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I, I think we deserve one here and I'd, it'd be interesting to see, um, you know, see us have one. Um, we went to the LA art fair a couple of years ago and I was just kind of amazed at the, 
I don't know just how, how, how cool it was, honestly, like, you know. Right, that's the best time I ever had in a convention center, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so there it is, Minneapolis leaders. If you happen to be a city council person or mayor and listening to this, we want our art coliseum, or at least more attention on the institution that is the Minneapolis art scene and one of the city's biggest economic engines. Perhaps now's the time that our city came together and created the great art fair of the North, the Minneapolis Art Fair. By all means, if you think the city needs to pay more attention to the artists who help make the city as vibrant as it is, and you think we need more resources or would like to see an international art fair right here in the good old Midwest, let the mayor and your local city council person know. I wanted to ask a couple um, more philosophical questions about the art, like about the arts. Um, how you guys see the role of art in everyday life and kind of what is art and what is, what's it, its importance? Do you have any sort of philosophies about that? What a good question. What a much, much covered topic and um, one that'll probably never be answered. Um, it's a tricky one. I will just share a personal art story that um, it's always been important to me in different ways throughout life and um, I never really knew how important art was to me until I lived with some. And it was circumstantial. And it was after art school and after a career in commercial art um, did I live with art because I, I moved in with Blaine and um, he had a lot of work on the wall. And I'd never really sat and had my cereal with a painting before. Uh, and day after day, <clears throat> looking at the same work, and every day having it mean something different, started to teach me what art is doing and what it's supposed to do uh, in life, or at least in my life. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years, making friends in the art world, going to art openings and art talks and meeting the people that make. And that just adds another layer to to the story about um, every artist having their own reason for making. And, um, you know, it, all that experience makes, opens my brain up in a different way that, that really permeates all areas of life and really helps, helps you see that it's not just A to B, that life isn't binary, that there's room for all different layers of thought and it's okay to change your mind and it's okay to let yourself be malleable when you meet new people and have different influences. That was a lot of words, but that's been. That's brilliant. That's awesome. I, I especially just like my experience concept of having breakfast with a painting, you know, for the first time and having that, that's really cool. <laughs> we have a pretty small, but uh, I don't know, very powerful collection of, of work. <laughs> work you guys have behind you is excellent. Super cool. Katie, uh, 
we're in Katie's office and she uh she does a lot more Zoom calls than I do anymore. And so she she kind of rotates the workout. That's awesome. Uh one of the I gotta say one of the one of the last handful of paintings we bought was actually at, at Rogue Buddha. Um we have a Adam Little piece that's hanging in our bedroom. So every morning I get to wake up and see a collection of uh intergalactic creatures uh <laughs> huddled around uh, some sort of intergalactic pro wrestler beating another one with a snake. <laughs> the funny thing is Kitty picked that up. So that's kind of her painting in the bedroom. And then mine, mine is a, a Megan Bell piece. She has a studio in Northrop King. So it's a little more abstract. And I feel like it kind of represents our, our two different personalities. But cool. if you were just look at the two pieces, if you're just to look at the two pieces, I think you'd probably flip them but <laughs> not if you knew us yeah I suppose not if you knew us yeah for many many years I would stop in there and just take in her work because she had she had a piece that's like I don't know eight by four feet some you know that that sort of scale and you just get lost in it you know you can sit there and stare yeah. at it for hours and yeah it's usually during art of world or or you know open studio night so you know there's a lot of other people and whatever so finally I uh I picked one up so I can I can do that and stare at it on my own time. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I guess a plug for the sketchbook. She is she is actually in the sketchbook. That was one of the one of the perks of doing the sketchbook, especially early on, is I got to kind of curate the starting set of artists. And um so yeah, she was on page number one of book three, I believe. Wow. Now have yeah. you guys set your own limit of what you're willing to spend at the auction to get your hands on a book? Ooh, it has crossed my mind. Um, you know, we haven't actually decided yet if we're doing them all five sketchbooks as one lot or if we're going to do them individually. Um, there's pros and cons to both. I mean, for me, they feel like a set, especially at this point. I think the original idea is they'd be individual sketchbooks and then they could reach more people. But um, yeah. so we'll, we'll figure that out in the next week or here. But um, yeah, it's to really capture the entire year, you almost have to look at all five sketchbooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that said, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I would definitely like to have one, but uh, since all the money's going to the artists, I, I definitely need to fork a considerable amount of cash over to have one myself. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> your guys' opinion on brick and mortar galleries are their importance to how do you feel view their importance and i think it's kind of super interesting because you're coming from the website of it which you know has has definitely like picked up a lot of slack over the last year with all the galleries being closed you know what's your kind of perspective or or view i love that question we exist to help galleries and artists to, to start out with so um so that's really important um and yeah like we said before um it's really we're really spoiled in minneapolis with all the public art and the art fairs that just seem to happen people don't necessarily recognize that they need to participate and patronize and buy open their wallets they don't really they don't really get that piece i mean we come from the land of bragging about discount purchases. Oh, where did, oh, I like your outfit. Oh, I got it 50% off at Target. 
there's not a lot of there's not a lot of heart in the way we shop or spend our money. There's a lot of bargain basement type, the way the art scene works or should work. Um, but our humility sort of keeps us in a place where where we want to, or it's easy to devalue ourselves. And that goes from artist to artist to gallery. It's it's hard to find our share of wallet and our place in the world and, and locally. Um, but we're here to help um, is how we see ourselves. Um, as a media company, truly, the, the fact that we're online is just a circumstance of being a media company um, in the 21st century. Um, so uh, I'd almost ask, I'd almost turn the question back to you, Nick, as a gallery owner and say, what do you need or what tools, what are, what are the problems you're trying to solve as a gallery? Not to put you on the spot, but <laughs> might be rhetorical because <laughs> um, whatever you need we can build it basically is what we've always had to say to galleries and to yeah. artists um, we almost have trouble focusing our energy because blaine can build anything and i can market anything um, yeah. and what we need is the the candid sort of needs of the galleries as well as people that want to buy art. So we want to make it accessible and all that. But yeah, yeah what do the galleries need? Because we can make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, you know, from, from my perspective, um, it's really kind of going back to what you were saying. Well, building, building a culture of collecting, building, building a scene where, you know, it's cool to be a collector. It's, it's where people get the, the value of being a collector, um, not even just not even from the standpoint of supporting the artists, but how it benefits their own life. Like how, you know, like you were saying, sitting down and eating cereal in front of a painting. How does that change just how your day goes and what your day is? The value of the day. Um, I think more people need to know that exactly what you were talking about and. Um, and then also knowing that it's okay to collect in Minneapolis, you know, because the, there are collectors here. And another maybe fallacy that exists in the local art scene is that you have to go to New York to buy artwork or you need to go to Chicago or LA or, you know, and that, and part of the reason they might want to do that is that they get that story of, oh, I got this from this gallery in New York, or something like that. It's like, well, you can have that equally cool story getting it in Minneapolis, um, you know? And I think that that, I think getting that mindset that um, also when you're a collector in Minneapolis, you're not only, well, you're responsible for building a scene here, which is cool, you know? It's like, I kind of thought about that with the gallery when I first opened. It's like, yeah, I could go to New York and try and be an artist there, but I'd rather be in a city where things weren't happening at that level and try and build that here and be a part of that with other artists that have that same kind of uh, value set that like, no, we want to see our, our community thrive and there's no reason why it can't and shouldn't. So a lot of it comes down to building the collector, the collector culture here. Um, and then also building the, the brand recognition outside of Minneapolis. So people from Chicago are, coming here to buy artwork. People are coming here from New York to buy artwork. Um, 
I think those are probably the two biggest things. And then of course, more galleries um, and just more, more of a spotlight on the visual arts in general. Like Minneapolis is, is well known for dance, theater, music. It's not as well known for the visual arts. So I think that we have to get more visibility for that, but you know, billboards everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that community aspect is, for me, that was gonna be essentially the answer to your original question about the importance of the brick and mortar gallery, you know, build, uh, galleries. Um, Cause I mean, there's not a lot of spaces where you can go in public that don't cost money to, you know, like engage with other people, especially in like creative conversation and things like this, you know, you got to go to a restaurant or a bar or whatever and have a, you know, and maybe there's artwork on the wall, whatever, but, um, you know, there's, I don't know, there's a, there's a galleries function as community spaces, whether they like to or not, you know, and um, mm -hmm. they're not just retail. I think, you know, some people are concerned that they're retail and they need to go in there and buy something, but, um, uh, and they should, you know, if they, if something reaches out to them and, you know, whatever, please patronize the galleries, but, yeah. um, no, I, I think they serve an important function. And then I, I, in that sense, I always think of like third place gallery, um, for example, which was very much a community space, like held meetings and that sort of thing. And, you know, so galleries can be a lot of different things, but I think the root of it is for me anyway, is, is the community aspect of it. Speaking of community, the Rogue Buddha Gallery is located in the heart of the Northeast Arts District, the home of hundreds of artists and artist studios, as well as a designated geographic area. The Board of the Northeast Arts District is tasked with promoting and protecting the artists, studio spaces, and the arts community at large. You can find out more about them, their mission, and the many programs that they've been responsible for, including a new exhibit at the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport, by visiting them online at northeastminneapolisartsdistrict.com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter and consider making a donation as all the money goes directly to helping preserve and promote this integral part of our community. The other side of that coin is really personal connections, which you know a lot about. And that's, that's probably, if I'm going to guess, that's your bread and butter is those personal, those personal connections, maybe that little black book. Um, I know I've been asked, hey, I need some art for my house. You know, what should I buy? And it's people that, that don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. And I've actually done a practice of creating a portfolio for them. So I know, I know a little bit or a lot about the person who's asking. And I know a lot of local artists and um, from from the well-established to the emerging and, and all different styles and backgrounds of people. And um, I can pull on that and really create like a bespoke portfolio for someone. And when I present this to people as just a, an experimental practice, um, some of the artists don't even know I'm, I mean, most of the artists don't even know I'm doing this because it's such yeah. a one-on-one <laughs> thing that I'm doing for my own sake. 
just to see if there's something there, but like a personal curator. Um, yeah. So I'll show a wide range of artists to, to a friend or I've done it for colleagues at work and um, I've done it for a couple different budget levels. They get a lot out of that and they get the story behind it that they need. So I can tell a story about every artist in this tiny book I'm putting together. Yeah. And they get that story. So they don't have to travel to get that story, especially in the last year. Um, they're not going to travel to get that story, or they better not. <laughs> but there's something special there and, and they, they come away with it thinking, well, one, this was special for me. This was, this was for me. This is great. This is beautiful. I may have not liked everything in here, but I can tell that this was special to me and someone thought about me when they put this together. Um, and those stories I gave them, hey, this artist comes from this country. Hey, this artist um, makes art out of river water. Hey, this one um, yeah. has something else special going on. And creating those stories you don't have to go any further than Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota to get those stories there. There's every flavor happening right here. It's just that people need to hear about it. And there hasn't been the investment of time beyond the few of us that, that know and love the scene. There's just not a wide knowledge of, of what's happening here and there um, locally. But when, when you can bring light to that, and I'm in marketing so I want to make a showcase out of things and I've seen it I've seen it make a lot of sense to people when they can hear those stories yeah that's I love that idea um yeah it because it it is like um art is kind of like its own language and so for somebody who hasn't spoken that language before you know they need that that kind of you know it's good to have that intercessor that person that can translate you know this is what you know for instance like megan bell this is you know what you're seeing is what you're seeing but here's the story behind it here's who megan is this is you know what her form of art is about and that's important especially to the person who's never been um exposed to that language before yeah totally Right, and the meetings I've been doing, they've been happening on Zoom, you know? I'd rather, I'd much rather introduce someone to the artist. I'd, I'd rather say, hey, join me at this show one weekend, join me at this show another weekend, and um, read this book by this other artist um, in really tangible ways. But they're, they're happening and they're working over Zoom, so that's really interesting too. That's cool, that's very cool. I kind of want to build on that and ask um, what your advice is for first-time collectors or not people new to collecting and new to the language of art, just in general. The first thing they should do is visit mplsart.com. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I mean it, like we try to be your art, we try to be your friend in the art world. It can be really intimidating. Like, I don't like my blank wall. I don't like my you know, Ikea poster, but um, I don't know where to start, right? So um, I wish I had a friend. I wish I had a friend who told me where to go 
And um, if you don't have that friend or that friend is busy, <laughs> our website tries to be that friend. So we've got a calendar that tells you where things are and what they are and really highly visual so you can get a sense for, you know, I like this, I don't like that. <laughs> we've, we've talked about a Tinder for art world in the past where you're swiping left and right and it learns what you like. And then that, that AI becomes your art friend. Um, but in the meantime, our site is going to tell you a lot about the local scene, where you can go, and what you're going to see if you go there. Um, and then at least you feel invited. You you kind of know you know how to get there. You know where it is. It's not um, it's not as intimidating if you if you know a little bit of information before you're setting foot in the door, mm -hmm. and and that helps. Um, and then you know I don't know if anyone sits there and says I want to be a collector. Um, that's an interesting premise. Um, there's almost like it would be really interesting to to really inspect someone at their very early stages of wanting art or wanting to know more about art. It would be interesting to talk to them. Well, why do you want that? You've never wanted it before. What what is there inside of you that made you think art, whether buy it or or learn about it? I think there's a lot of really, really insightful learning there that would tell us exactly how to how to respond to that. Um, in in terms of personas, which we have for our site, we've got, you know, the curious, the the artist, the art buyer, we've got all the the whole range of how someone might engage with art. And our biggest target, not to be all markety, but the biggest opportunity probably lies in someone who would go to an art event with their friend. So someone that could just as easily go to a, a Twins game or a movie one night, if they knew there was an art event and they had someone to bring them, they would go to that. And that's where that, that's the genesis of, of a person's personal relationship with art. Um, so when it comes to kind of kicking that off in a way that's got a little more encouragement and, and trying to give someone that, that bravery to get out there by themselves, yeah, I think that was was more about sort of what you were asking, and you know, look on Instagram, <laughs> do your research, um, figure out what you like. If you don't know what you like, figure out what you don't like. I think expectations are going to be really important. You know, do you think you're going to go to a store and it's going to behave like a Target, and that you're going to walk out with something that you love, and if you don't love it, you can return it, and there's really no consequence or are you prepared to go to a couple different openings um, are you prepared to talk to a couple different artists are you prepared to you know uh, reject a few styles before you find what's for you um, actually I'm rambling I'll go back to Adam Little's <laughs> show at the Rogue Buddha Gallery um, for me that was happening um, around the time when I had I'd been to some shows, I'd been, you know, working on the website and I, I was, I was excited about art. I, I was not inhibited. I was sort of ready and the show was, um, was hitting some good price points for me. And at some point it became like, uh, when you're at a comedy show and you invested, you know, a lot into just being there that night and just the, the idea of being there makes you want to laugh. So the jokes 
um, they might be good, they're, they're probably great, but also you come there ready to laugh and, and you've invested and it wasn't free to get in there and you're, you show up just like ready to laugh. Um, for me, that Adam Little show, I showed up and, and I was ready to experience art and um, I was ready to buy art. At some point I asked, I think it was one of his children, there were a number of children running around and I asked one of them, what piece of art did I buy? Like I'm into this work, it, it gets me excited. It, it almost doesn't matter what piece, like they all sort of speak to me as a body of work and I'm just ready to be here. Like I'm ready to laugh at the comedy show. I'm ready to participate in this. Yeah. And the child picked one out for me and I was like, yes, child. And I've been super happy with this ever since. Um, you you might owe that kid a commission, Nick. <laughs> no, no. And I should have trained that kid to say, you know, you could have a triptych <laughs> piece. I really can't stop with one. With Adam's work, you really need to have three or four. At this point, you can't go wrong. <laughs> so I guess I'll train them better next time. <laughs> yeah, the learning there is like teach people that it's it's not serious. Teach people that it's entertainment you know, not to um, diminish what art really is, but yeah. um, it can be entertainment. It can be spur of the moment. Um, if you buy something you don't like, give it away, buy something else. Like, I don't mean to, you know, speak to purchases as though everyone has privilege, but at the same time, you know, whatever you're capable of, think about how much you spend on this or that. If that goes to art, it's a fun experience. Yeah. Um, whatever price point and um if we could if we could communicate that to folks um, on a broader level that would be pretty golden i forget your question <laughs> <laughs> no and that you know that brings up a couple interesting things like for sure what i've noticed with myself too is like over time my my taste in art has changed so you know i collect i buy a lot of art myself and the stuff that I bought 10, 15 years ago doesn't necessarily always resonate with me now. And so that's maybe in storage at this point. Um, I still value it, but and it'll reemerge in some format somehow, but, but that it's okay that like, you know, it's okay for people to change over time with their tastes. But the other thing you mentioned, um, not everybody, I'd never thought about this, but not everybody is going to say, you know, thinks I'm going to be a collector. That word collector, maybe that word collector is not a good word or not the best word. You know, maybe it in itself is pretentious or elitist sounding or something. Maybe there's a different word that we could use instead of being a collector. Because like you said, yeah, most people don't buy their first piece thinking, oh, this is the first piece and, you know, what will be a 20-year span of... of collecting yeah. <laughs> right you don't want it you don't want you're not looking for a life-changing experience especially that first piece like when I look back on it yes art has been absolutely life-changing but if you approached me before I'd bought anything and said are you ready for a life-changing experience I would say I'm good like my <laughs> life is this sounds expensive and scary like I don't really want that kind of change i don't think you know it's it's just um it's all about meeting people where they are and sort of like finding those doors in 
it, where they come naturally. Um, so maybe maybe your question is um, flawed. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. I think I think yeah. I think uh, I think you're maybe right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not uh it's not as much so you want to be a collector yeah <laughs> you're sitting on the other side of it when you're a collector you know that you didn't spend you know ten thousand dollars on your collection i just use air quotes sorry but <laughs> you're, you're once you're on the other side of it you're like proud to say you're a collector and it's it's cool and it's it's been life-changing but that's not where you start so how do we speak the language of people that are ready for a certain level of engagement? How do we how do we talk to them on a on a level that's hey, come to this show with me. It's really fun versus yeah. versus assuming that they want to be a collector and that they, that the actual the actual uh, barrier to them being a collector is some some art one hundred one class they need to take because that's not it. It's it's more about feeling invited and and um, letting people always have that out. They can stop. We can stop anytime we want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're Cassie Garner, I think she's addictive. I don't think she can stop. <laughs> I, I do think at, at, to a certain degree, people do want to buy artwork, for example, and don't necessarily know how to get into it or what, what they, they think they're supposed to buy important works or it's supposed to have some sort of you know provenance or something and and you know I kind of to what Katie was saying I mean just buy stuff that you like I mean that's a good place to start like it doesn't have to be important you don't have to read the backstory if you just go look at it and you're like you know this is pretty rad I, I really like this you know then that that should be good enough you know don't if it works for you, don't buy artwork to impress somebody is maybe the <laughs> the thing, you know. Totally. totally. Like buy it for yourself. Right? And and yeah, live with it, you know. Yeah. Oh, that was huge. That was like that was Yeah, my paradigm <laughs> is shifting here. Like, why do I always say collect like what yeah, the, that that approach might be the wrong approach. Because um, I'm very open to the idea of like, I mean, it's something I always push is if you like it, if it speaks to you, that's what's important. And like you were saying, the provenance, who cares about that? You know, that that's important yeah. to a level for the person that that's important to. But in terms yeah, of people, people that are concerned if the piece is going to be a, like an investment, you know, if it's going to increase in value over the years. I mean, those, those they're not first time buyers. They're or, or, or if they are, they're also like primarily investment bankers or something, you know. <laughs> Your average Jane and Joe that is trying to figure out why they should buy a piece of artwork, the answer is because you like it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the reason you should go to a gallery is because it's fun. Yeah. And then you're going to find art that you like. Like, you should buy it. <laughs> um, Just by way of kind of closing closing this out, I'm curious what you guys are excited about that's coming down the road uh, in terms of shows or events, either in real life or online. 
um, here in the coming months? Anything that's really jumping out to you guys? Yeah, um, I mean, Christopher Harrison has, is curating an exhibition at the uh, at Artistry down down in Bloomington. It's a group exhibition containing conveniently several artists that are from the MPLS Art Sketchbook Project. Uh, Filippo, uh, Lissa Carpe. Uh, yeah, so that should be a cool show. Um, what else is coming up? A little, I heard a little birdie suggest there might be uh, some art world related events taking place in person this year. I'm not 100% sure on that, but uh, yeah. I'm personally excited to go partake in something of that nature this year. So yeah, keep your eyes on uh, NEMA for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One more, one more plug for the Gamut exhibition for the sketchbook project. That's going to be April 10th. So definitely check that out. Um, you want to get tickets in advance for that show. I don't think you can just go to the opening. So make sure that you is your Gamut, yep. Gamut's website. Yeah, and a lot, of, a lot of the exhibitions lately that we've been listing um, are doing a appointment only or, you know, you just need to give them a heads up to uh, uh, before you come in. And they're doing a lot of COVID precautions and that sort of thing. So that's yeah. kind, of, kind of an important thing to keep in mind. I think um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the press releases we're getting aren't necessarily including their COVID precautions. And so I think people are starting to kind of forget that we're still in a pandemic and <laughs> you still need to show mask and things. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, um, there's a lot of cool stuff coming up. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, several events coming up at the Northern Clay Center, um, the Chroma Mural Festival. I don't know when the exact dates for that are, but they uh, they kind of had to postpone that last year, even though they did create the murals for it. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of excited for whatever public functionaries got cooking right now. Uh, we don't have any specific dates or events for that, but uh, Pretty sure they have some some stuff. We'll they'll be making some announcements for coming up. Yeah, uh, and then I'm kind of excited about a new space in North uh, called Walrus. Mm -hmm. um, it's the former owner of Big and Faro. Um, opened up a uh, like a commercial gallery space, and um, yeah, there's a lot of cool artists that are involved with that. So uh, personally, I'm excited to go see that in person. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, any articles on, on MPLSart.com that people should go read right away? Anything jumping out to you that like, oh, we have this up now or something coming down the road? Yeah, we um, started to bring it all back to the sketchbook project, but we've been doing uh, primarily focused on artist profiles and Q and A's with the artists that are involved in the, in the project. So mm -hmm. right now we got uh, a good profile on uh, Ron Brown up there and uh, Allison Ann who are involved in the sketchbook project. We have a couple more of those coming down the pipeline. So with uh, Gordon Coons and uh, Lizard Man from Rogue Citizen, I'm going to be doing that Q and A. Pretty excited. I know, I know, uh, I know him from way back in the day. So it'll be kind of cool to actually do something for the site. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. This has been an awesome conversation, and I've wanted to have you guys on the show for like day one. So it's I'm super excited that we finally got this this chance to do this and it's been awesome having you on the on the podcast it's it's been an honor nick i uh and i i don't know if we said this but we love listening to your show like uh 
not not to suck up, but it's really nice listening to your voice and uh, your little uh, uh, jingles and, and the kind of interstitial audio that you have. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of chill. It's really chill. Um, <laughs> yeah, pleasure to listen to. So as much as I probably don't want to hear my own voice when I listen to this episode, uh, thank you for having us on. <laughs> no, you guys were great. <laughs> so honored to be here. <laughs> uh, thank you. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing you guys out and about on the on the Minneapolis art scene in person here soon. Sounds good. We'll stop in at Rogue Buddha too. Awesome. And that is a wrap for this episode of Art Wonderful, coming to you from deep inside the Rogue Buddha Gallery. I just have to say again, what a pleasure it was having Katie and Blaine Garrett on the show and having the opportunity to listen to them talk all things art. In particular, my mind is still stuck on that idea that no one goes into buying art thinking they're going to be a collector, and the fact that we all come to the arts and to buying art in our own unique way. We're going to have to definitely explore that more in future episodes. So, I want to thank you for joining me, and I hope you do so again and often. And please, feel free to share this podcast with your art-loving friends. Or, for that matter, your quote-unquote not-yet-art-loving friends. As well, we don't want to let them miss out on everything the arts has to offer. Until next time, remember, the best life is the creative life, and the best self is the artistic self. Cheers. Cheers.